So good to be in the house of the Lord. So glad you're here. Uh, you're the guys that, that, that set the scales back 15 pounds so you'd be on time today. That went right over your head, didn't it? <laughs> Anybody agree with me that different people are passionate about different things? Is there any truth to that? How many of you are exci- excited about football season? Man, you're just pumped about football season. Get a, I got one woo. How many can't wait for it to be over? Okay, guys. How many of you love cats? Got any cat people in the house? How many think cats are dog food? That's what they are is dog food. Don't send me emails or social media hate stuff to me, okay? I'm just kidding around. All I'm saying is that we all have different passions. I'm not a cat person. I'm just not a rat person. So I kind of like having a cat around because they help me with the, the other side of the equation. But the bottom line is that we're all different. <laughs> For those of you that are new, we're in a series <clears throat> that we're calling uh, Niche or Niche, as Miss Sarah likes to call it. Uh, we're finding that area of our lives that God made us on purpose, for a purpose, and, and identifying what that is. We've established four things so far in the series, kind of get the wheels turning for all of us and catch you that are new up uh, to what we've been talking about. Principle number one we've discovered is that God never copied anything, anything. We're all originals, and originals are always more valuable than copies, and so we are valuable in the sight of God. He made us all unique for a unique purpose. The second principle uh, we learned is not only are we original, but according to Psalm 139, we are wonderfully complex. Husbands, can you, you all look at your wives right now and say, you are wonderfully complex. Just look at them right and say, you are wonderfully complex. That's the only time you're ever going to have permission to say that to your wife. If you use that in the middle of an argument, say, Pastor Jim said you're wonderfully complex. Do not take my name in vain. That's not what I said. Ephesians 2 says, then when you give your life to Christ, that that wonderfully complex creation now goes to a whole new level, and Paul called it his masterpiece. We become this masterpiece as the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. And what we're discovering through this series is that there are five facets to this diamond we call your niche or your niche profile. So let's rehearse them, and, uh, and we'll get into it this morning. The, the word niche, of course, is an acrostic, and the N stands for natural abilities. We all have natural abilities, things that you were either born with or that you pick up along the way, and you're able to do them very naturally. All, all of those help point to God's purpose for your life. I stands for individuality or your individual personality type, and we're all a mixture of the four basic personality types, and as you discover what your type is, again, it points you to the right direction for his purpose for your life. C stands for charisma gifts. That word charisma from the Greek charis just means grace, and so these are the gifts that God gives you by his grace. You didn't earn them. He just graciously gave them to you when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit took up residence and he brought gifts with him that would empower you to do the things that he put you on the planet to do. H stands for heart and heart are those things that we are passionate about. That's what we're going to talk about today and then next Sunday we'll wrap our time up by talking about E, experiences. Romans chapter 8 makes it clear that every experience in our lives gets woven into this pattern for good if we just love him back. And so we'll talk about that in great detail next week and how your experiences in life help to focus in on life's purpose as God puts you on the planet today. Ms. Sarah told us in the video this morning that you can go to the website, you can go to the app, click on the sermon series. You'll see a profile tools there, assessment tools to help you walk through every one of these areas, some leading questions to answer, some, uh, some online assessments 
that you can do to help you figure out what are your, what's your personality type, what are your spiritual gifts. But today, we're talking about Heart. So let's get into the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19. Here we go on the screen. So let's read it together. One, two, three, go. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. Simply put, what your heart is drawn to, what you are passionate about, reveals who you are to you and ultimately to the people that are around you. Does that make sense? But we're not just talking today about those things that you're naturally interested in. What we're actually talking about is the passions that God puts in you that point you toward and empowers you to accomplish his purpose for your life. So we're talking about these God-given kind of passions that he establishes in all of our lives. So let's do a little definition. Put it up on the screen. A little definition of heart for the purposes of our message today. Let's read it together. Heart is, one, two, three, go, the passion that is created when your God-given interest in life align with your God-designed purpose for life. And so when we talk about heart in this context, we're talking about passions, we're talking about interest, we're talking about desires, but we're not just talking about those things that come naturally. We're talking about finding those things that ultimately point to God's purpose for your life. Just as God has given you natural abilities and individual personality and charisma gifts, He's given you this sense of of passion to energize those things in your life. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. God is working in you to help you, what does it say? Want to do and be able to do what pleases him. That able to do part is the natural abilities, the personality type, and the charisma gifts. The want to do is your passions. That's your desires. That's your interest. I mean, let me just give you a couple examples. Moses had the ability, the personality type, the gifts to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian uh, slavery, but it took passion to stand in front of the most powerful man on the planet and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. It took passion for him to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness for almost 40 years. And yes, there were times when his passion waned and what happened? There's one point where Moses said, God, just go ahead and kill me now. I can't do this anymore. What happened? His abilities go away? His gifts go away? His personality changed? No, he lost heart. And so passion is a huge part of what enables us, empowers us, energizes us to do what God put us on the planet to do. The apostle Paul had all the gifts and talents and abilities that he needed to reach the Gentiles with the gospel, but it took a lot of passion to get beaten, left for dead, get up, brush himself off, and go to the next town. It took a lot of passion for him to get shipwrecked and, 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 and turn that into an opportunity to, to lead the people of the Isle of Melita to Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of passion involved. Fast forward to modern times. Martin Luther King had this amazing ability to speak in passionate and charismatic kinds of terms, but it took a lot of passion to stand up to institutionalized racism in America. It takes passion to accomplish the things that God's given you the ability and the gifts to do. I could go on, but I, I, I hopefully you're getting the point of what I'm talking about. Abilities, personality type, spiritual gifts kind of point the way, but heart emboldens and empowers us to accomplish what God purposed. All of those people I mentioned had different abilities and, and personality and gifts, but they had one thing in common, and that is that they discovered their God-ordained passion to accomplish what he put them on the planet to do. So, so here's the sad reality. There are, I don't want to put a number on it, 
far too many people sitting in churches across this land today who are going through the motions of singing a few songs and listening to a sermon and shaking the preacher's hand and saying, good sermon, but there is no passion. There's just no passion. They showed more passion when the Cowboys beat the Lions on Thanksgiving Day than they're showing in church today. And I got to wonder sometimes if God looks at that and goes, that's all you got for me? That's, that's all you got for what I did for you? The sad reality is that far too many people have lost that God-given passion, much less the idea of following that passion and letting it define our, their lives. So let's go back to the definition because what I want to do with you this morning is I want to help you find and follow your heart. Based on this definition, let's look at it again. The passion created when your God-given interest, come on, read it with me. The passion created when your God-given interest align with your God-designed purpose for living. I want to help you do that. I want to figure, help you figure out how to get into the stream of living out the passions that God has put in your heart. But first, l- let me just very quickly uh, identify some heart stoppers because it may be that, that, uh, that you're struggling because of a heart stopper and maybe you've got to deal with that first. There's six that came to mind as I prepped to share with you today. One is fear. I think it's probably the number one that I run across all the time, fear, Proverbs 20, uh, 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart. Anybody with me? There are times when you see what needs to be done, you know you've got the ability to do it, you just, uh, there's just kind of this fear of what if I fail, what if I can't, what if, what if I'm not up to the task, what if people depend on me and it doesn't work out. Or there's this kind of what ifs that we get into, fear can weigh the heart down and before you know it, you lost your passion, discouragement can be something that really pulls it out of us. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8, see the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The children of Israel broke out of Egyptian slavery and bondage to go to this great promised land when they got there. The spies went in and came back and said, man, there are giants in the land. We're just little grasshoppers. There's no way we can take these giants. And the result is it discouraged them and they lost lost their heart. They lost their passion for going into the promised land and dealing with whatever obstacles would arise. They forgot God's promise on their lives to give them that land. Discouragement can zap your heart. Guilt can zap your heart. Is it true? David experienced that, Psalm 40, verse 12. For troubles without numbers surround me, my sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart does what? fails within me. It's hard to, to go after anything passionately when, when you step out and the first thing is, well, man, but, but you know what you did, but you know who you are. You know where you failed. You know what you didn't do when you should have done it. And before you know it, guilt pulls you back every time. You've got to deal with these hard stoppers or you're never going to find the passion, no matter what I teach you this morning. Bitterness zaps the heart of a lot of people. Psalm 73, 21 and 2, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I mean, who, who did David ultimately take his bitterness out on, according to that verse? He took it out on God. And that's what happens so often when we, when we allow bitterness to sink into our hearts. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness towards some person or group of people. We ultimately start taking it out on God. David said, man, I started treating you like I was something. You were kind of beast. I was this animal. 
Side note, just quickly, um, Jesus said that's what's going to escalate in the end times. Toward the end times, this is really going to get big. Matthew chapter 20, verse 10, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Um, Anybody see that escalating in our times? I wonder if Jesus knew about social media when he said that. I don't know if he knew about the haters and the trollers and all the people on social media that we get caught up in sometimes. Pride can be a heart stopper. Habakkuk 2.4, see, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright. What happened to his heart, his desires, his passion, they became flawed. They became wrong. But the righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk is saying, if you want a God-given passion, then you can't be prideful about it. You have to be humble about it because it's God that gave it to you. You celebrate the fact that he put it in there. But then the last one I mentioned already is, is apathy, this, this lack of interest, this lack of enthusiasm, this lack of concern for what's going on, of just kind of going through the motions. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with, with what? All your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Put some heart into it. I don't care what you're doing. I mean, we got a group of people out there in this rainy, gray, cold day serving uh, food to the homeless in the soup kitchen. And I guarantee you, they're putting their heart into it. Thank God for that team that goes out on Sunday mornings and feeds those folks and shares Jesus with those folks. Can we appreciate our team that does the soup kitchen on Sunday mornings? But, but I'm not just talking about getting out there and feeding the homeless on a rainy day. I'm talking about greeting at the front door. I'm talking about working in bridge kids. I'm talking about singing with all of your heart. I'm talking about whatever you do, do it with all your heart, whatever the blockage is, guys. The important question is how do you, how do you find it? How do you follow it? How do you plug into the God-given heart that he has for you when so often our hearts are beat up and bruised. In fact, sometimes they feel dead. I think there are five parts to that, and that's what I want to walk through in the few minutes I have with you. The five parts of of finding God's heart for you, following God's heart for you, and I hope that you'll factor this in as you work on your niche profile and as you find out the, the purpose for which God made you. Step number one, part number one of this, of this finding and following God's heart is you've got to open your heart. You've got to open your heart. One of the things that happens when bitterness or discouragement or fear or guilt, any of those things to start in, the, the first thing we do is to start closing our hearts. We start building walls to protect ourselves because we don't like that. And so we start shutting ourselves off from the very people, from the very God who loves us. We start closing ourselves off. And so the first step in this journey, if you really want to know God's heart for you, is you've got to open yourself up again. You've got to take a risk and say, I'm going to open myself to what God has for me. I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe that God made me, me on purpose. I believe he made me with a purpose. I believe that he's given me the ability (coughs) to do what pleases him, but I also believe he'll give me the power to do it if I will lean into him. But you got to open your heart. you got to believe that. And that's how we're going to close our service this morning, by making that declaration of of, I believe God made me on purpose. He knew what he was doing. Now, that sounds like a no-brainer almost. It's because, of course, you got to open your heart. But, but if you were here, you may remember in the first message in the series, I told you that any of these elements, 
uh, in the niche profile can be either used for good or bad. You can either use your abilities, you can use your personality to do damage or to, do, uh, to bring life. Well, the same is true for passions. The world is full of passionate people who are operating with selfish motivations. I thought I'd get an amen out of that somewhere. Is it true? Yeah. We've got a world full of people that are giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes. They're wondering why when they come to the end of their life, why there's no sense of meaning in it all. If you ever want to find eternal meaning and eternal purpose, that something that extends beyond your time on this planet, you've got to know there's more to life than just getting what I want. Getting what, consuming what I have. There's got to be more than this. Now, don't misunderstand me. No one is saying that, that ambition is wrong. I'm not saying that for a moment. In fact, ambition is morally neutral. Let's say it again. Ambition is morally neutral. What do I mean by that? I mean that ambition is neither right nor wrong. Ambition is neither good nor bad. It depends on your motive behind your ambition that determines whether it's good or bad. That, that's the only issue. You can be ambitious to accomplish God's purposes and aggressive about it, and that's a good thing. You can be ambitious for selfish reasons, and that's not a good thing. So the only question really is are you opening your heart to him, to, for him to give you the passions that will help you to fulfill the purposes that he has for you? Revelation 3.20, familiar passage to any who spent any time in church over the years, you know it, but behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. A familiar passage of Scripture. You, if you've never been to church, you've probably seen it on TV somewhere in a movie somewhere, that imagery of Jesus standing at the door knocking. The knob is on your side, and he's waiting for you to open the door to him. He's a gentleman. He won't force himself in. You have to open the door to him. But hear me, guys. The, we preachers tend to use that verse to invite people to come into relationship with Jesus, right? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's standing at the door knocking, and that's okay. You've heard me do it. You'll hear me do it again. That's okay, but you need to understand, Revelation chapter 3 was written to the church. It wasn't written to unbelievers. It was written to the church. It was written to people that were going through the motions, but they'd lost the heart behind it. They'd lost the passion behind it. They lost that thing that made it difference, that made the eternal difference, and that is the God passion that pointed to the God purpose for their lives. Guys, when you finally open yourself up to him and you say, God, whatever you want works for me. Uh, there are no limitations in this thing. I will do what you want. You're the commander in chief. My answer to you, sir, is yes. I don't even know what the question is. Doesn't matter. I will step up. I will step out. I will step forward. You, when you call, it's like two 20-volt jumper cables get zapped to your heart. And before you know it, you're doing things you never dreamed you'd do, going places you never dreamed you'd go. And you some of you know my story. I'm not telling you what I read in a book. I'm talking about the last 49 years of ministry. This is kind of zap that happens that fires you up and you find yourself doing amazing things for God. In fact, I don't know if you know it, but the word enthusiasm actually comes from the Greek word entheos. En meaning in, theos meaning, anybody know? God. Theology is the study of God. And so enthusiasm is the practice of being 
in God. Let me say it as clearly as I know how. The closer you get to God, the more energy, vitality, and passion you will find in your life. The further you get from him, the more fearful, discouraged, bitter, apathetic you will become. So if you're struggling to have passion for anything that has eternal value right now, the first step is to open your heart to Jesus. Open the door. Remember, he's a gentleman. He won't force himself in. But just whisper a prayer right here, right now, sitting right here in your seat or watching online. Lord, I'm open to whatever you have defined for me. Your ways are better than mine. Okay, Pastor Jim, I, I, I hear you. But I've got four out of the six heart blockers. I just, I don't know. That's why the second dynamic is so important in this process of finding and following God's heart for you, and that is you've got to let God heal your heart. You've got to let God heal your heart. Let's be honest. All of us have had our heart breaks. I've got a couple of yeses. Got a, we've all had our heart breaks. We've all been hurt along the way. We've all had people surprise us in, in bad ways. We've all had to go through stuff. This is, this is earth. It's not heaven. We aren't there yet. We're living in a sin-cursed world, and people make choices, and we get hurt by them. So that's reality that we have to face. And if you're sitting here right now or you're watching online right now and you're saying, Jim, I'd love to be passionate about some God thing, some eternal kind of thing, but, but here's this stuff that's going on. I need to say two things to you before we move on. One is I am truly, genuinely sorry that that happened to you. It, it breaks my heart that your heart is broken. I'm sincere. I weep with you and for you. But the second thing I want you to hear me say is we serve a God who cares even more than we do for you. We serve a God who has the ability to heal. I mean, King David learned that after he lost his baby son. In Psalm 34, 18, he said, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. How does he save those who are crushed in spirit? He gives them a heart transplant. That's what he does. He gives them a new heart. He says, okay, your heart's beat up and it's damaged. Let, let me give you a new one. Let me, let me exchange your guilty heart for a forgiven heart. Let me exchange your fearful heart for one at peace. Let me exchange your apathetic heart for an enthusiastic heart. Go on down the heart stoppers. Let me exchange that heart stopped heart for one that's alive and breathing and enthusiastic. I believe with everything in me. He brought me here today to say to some of you, God can heal your heart if you'll let him. Open yourself up to him and let him heal you. He'll give you the heart transplant that you need. I know Satan immediately starts whispering in your ear when I say something like that. Well, that's the kind of thing that preachers say. And, but you don't, you don't know how bad my heartbreak was, Pastor. No, I don't. But I don't have to because I know who I'm talking about today and I've seen what he can do. We'll talk in a lot more detail next Sunday and on the, the subject of experiences, of how God works in our experiences. But there's so many stories of what I'm talking about today that's happening in the bridge. One of our location lead pastors was telling me just this past week they had a member of their location, the bridge, um, who tells her story, who gives her testimony of having come out of an abusive home growing up, an abusive 
relationships as adults. She wound up on the street, working the streets to make a living, to survive. Ultimately, a group of people in a young adulthood finally got her off the street and helped her. They brought her to one of our locations where she met Jesus. And in time, God began to heal her heart. She eventually joined the praise team. And today, she's out traveling the country telling her story to people whose hearts are broken. I can promise you that Christy never dreamed when she was on the street that one day God would give her a whole new heart and a whole new passion for life and that ultimately he would use her to help other people to be rescued from the very thing that she had come through. It never occurred to her that God could give her a new heart, much less use that new heart for his glory. But God heard her cry and he healed her heart and he'll heal yours too if you'll let him. When that happens, you're ready for the third dynamic. So you open your heart to him, you let him heal your heart, and now you're ready to weigh your options. Now you're ready to say, okay, um, I'm ready, Lord. Here am I. Point me in the right direction. Where do I go? I'm enthusiasm. So a wonderful thing. A healthy heart's a wonderful thing, but it takes more than that in the long run. Can I get an amen? You have to find out all you can about the area that God's called you to in order to succeed. Proverbs 19, verse 2. Read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. If you act too quickly, you might make a mistake. I don't know if you know this, but according to U.S. labor statistics, 80% of small business fail within five years. I don't know if that's true in small business. I don't have any experience in that area. But most of you know that I'm a church planter and I train church planters. And I can tell you that 80% of church plants close within five years. The only thing that began to change that percentage in my own life and training of church planters is we began to realize the principle that I'm talking to you about today. You got to do your homework. You got to learn as much as you can. You got to weigh the options before you jump out and go after it. Here, the problem is not sincerity. The problem is not passion. The problem is not even work ethic for most of these failures. The problem is lack of knowledge. Somebody says, you know, I love to cook. Boy, my life dream would be to open a restaurant. I would love to open a restaurant. They have no clue how to process how much food it takes and how to order that food and, and how to measure cost of food against how much you charge for the plate and, and front of house and back of house. and they have no clue about any of that stuff. They just love to cook. Well, then get hired on as a cook. Don't open a restaurant till you do some homework. Do you learn a little bit more? Some of you know mine and Kim's story. When I first sensed the call to plant what became Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, I went home and told Kim, I said, God's called us to plant a church. And she said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. I just, you know, this thing is rising up in me. And she said, what do we do now? We don't do anything except learn. We research, we study, we learn everything we can about it. We wound up within a few weeks going to the Philippines as church planting missionaries. And I learned a lot in the rainforest about myself and of how to reach people for Christ who were far from God. I went back to school during that period, got my master's degree. I wrote letters when it was time. I wrote letters to every city in the southeastern United States saying, we're considering coming to your area to plant our church. What information can you provide us about your area? We got no answer from some. We got form letters from others. We started getting letters and and information from Hampton Roads, Virginia. We ended up with a file that thick on Hampton Roads, Virginia, saying we want you to come to our city and start your church here. I learned everything I could possibly learn. 
But even once we decided that Hampton Roads is where we're going to go, well, what, what part of Hampton Roads are we going to go to? So I got my mentor to do some research. He did a 60-page demographic study on Hampton Roads, and we narrowed the focus down to one area of Hampton Roads where we began to target, and we went there, and we found out that wasn't the area. It was an area close by. I mean, it's just, what am I doing? I'm learning everything I can learn. I'm trying to know everything I can know before we ever get started. Guys, there was 10 years between the conversation with Kim where I said God's called us to plant a church and the day we had a service of community church in Chesapeake, Virginia. And yes, there were plenty of frustrations and confusions along the way. I'd be sitting in the Philippine rainforest every now and then saying, God, I don't get it. There are no unchurched American baby boomers in this rainforest. Why am I here? I said, because you're still learning. I'm still teaching you some things about yourself and about what it's going to take to be the kind of pastor and leader who can lead a church that's reaching unchurched people. I'm not trying to point to me. I'm just saying get your, do your homework, do your research, learn everything you can can. That's, that's why we said last week that when you start figuring out what your spiritual gifts are, experiment a little bit. Get into test drive and say, let me try this ministry out. And, and if that, that's not a fit, then I'll try a different ministry. Uh, you know, w- once you sign on for a ministry here at the bridge, it, you're not an indentured servant for life. <laughs> that's not how it works. We'll help you find that. We just want you to find that place, that niche where you say, ah, this is it. I love doing what I do, and I'm good at what I do. I went into the guest uh, services desk this morning before service, and I'm just chatting with the ladies, and she's trying to train me how to be a guest services person, and I finally came to the conclusion, don't think this is my niche. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. I tried to be an usher when I first came here. I, I ushed once. Pastor Valerie wouldn't let me ush anymore after that because uh, I tried to shake down the guy that, you know, is that all you got? Come on, you could do better than that. Come on. That wasn't my niche either. I mean, so this is all I know how to do, guys. I don't know. Uh, if, the, if this gig goes, I don't know what I got. Just, you're getting my point. Find out what it is. Learn as much as you can about it. Take a test drive. And when you find it, bam, you're ready to go. Which leads us to the fourth. And that is you pray for Holy Spirit empowerment. You pray for Holy Spirit empowerment. Once you find the area that lights your fire, that sets your heart ablaze, that creates this passion and desire, you're excited to do this stuff, I need to tell you that there is good news and bad news. Okay? The bad news is you don't have what it takes to accomplish what God called you to do. Whatever it is, if God called you, you can't get there from here. You don't have everything you need to accomplish it. The good news is he does. And he wants to empower you to accomplish what he called you to do. It is the Holy Spirit that begins to make up the difference. So go back with me to the early church. Acts chapter 2, the forming of the new church. Jesus said, okay, I'm going Back to the Father, I'm going to prepare heaven and I'm going to come back for you in due time. Until I do, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples of everybody everywhere. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them and keep doing it until I I get back. I'm going to be with you as you go. The Holy Spirit is going to come and be with you. But before they started fulfilling that call, before they went out with the Great Commission, he gave them a huge promise and a clear command. Say it again. Before he sent them out to accomplish the Great Commission, he gave them a huge promise and a clear command. The promise is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
Here we go. Read it together. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The command was, I mean, the, the, the commission was, I want you to go make disciples of everybody everywhere, and the promise was the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you to do that. Ragtag group of 120 or so people 500 witnesses that saw him after his death and resurrection, before his ascension. You can't reach the known world with that group of people unless something amazing happens. Jesus said something amazing is going to happen. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to empower you. The command was, so that's the promise, the command was go to the upper room and pray. Don't start until you're in unity. Scriptures say one accord When you come into unity, the Holy Spirit will show up and it will rock the world. And so he came on that day in Acts chapter 2 and rocked the town so much that there was a buzz throughout the whole city. Peter came out and preached a simple uh, message of repentance and 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ that day, were water baptized that day. The church was launched in the world. 5,000 more soon after came to know Jesus Christ. The church exploded and they reached the known world in one lifetime in the power of the Holy Spirit. But what did they do first? They paused. They learned. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to empower them to accomplish what he called them to do, which leads us to the fifth dynamic. The praise team's coming back to the stage. We're going to close in song this morning as a declaration of our faith. And as they make their way here, I want you to understand this fifth dynamic, this fifth part of, of finding and following God's heart for you, and that is you've got to launch out in faith. Eventually, you've got to launch out in faith. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, who is, by the way, your number one passion, no matter what otherwise he's called you to. i got one amen. Amen. And he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Eventually, you're going to have to say, God, You've put this heart in me. You've given me this passion. I need you to empower it. I need you to give it to me. I'm going to step out by faith and start. I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to trust you. So often we play show and tell with God. If you show me that I can do this, then I'll do it. It doesn't work that way. It's, Lord, I'm going to step out believing by faith that you've called me to do this. And and here I go, Lord. I'm counting on you to make up the difference between what I'm capable of and what I sincerely believe you've called me to. I'm counting on you to give me the desire to accomplish this thing that God's called me to do. What's the niche profile? Can we rehearse it? The N stands for natural abilities. The I stands for individuality, your personality type. C stands for charisma gifts, those charis, those grace gifts that he gives you by his grace. H stands for heart, those passions that he gives you that points you to and empowers you to accomplish his purpose. And then E stands for experiences. We'll wrap it up next Sunday by talking about those experiences. But hear me, guys. You will never fulfill God's call on your life. You will never find that eternal purpose for your life. You will never find the fulfillment 
that God intended for you. Jesus said Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life in all its fulfillment. You will not find that fulfillment until you actually believe by faith that it's true for you. Until you finally raise up and take a deep breath and square your shoulders and say, I am who God made me to be. Anybody believe it? And no, he didn't make me to be like Jim, or he didn't make me to be like Travis, or he didn't make me to be like Sue, or he didn't make me to be like George. He made me to be like me. And I'm going to open my heart to him. I'm going to ask him to heal the broken parts of my heart. I'm going to weigh my options. Then I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit will empower me as I step out. And I'm going to get started. As we sing this song together, I want you to make this your declaration of faith. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray first. Then Alicia is going to lead us in song. I want you to sing. From all your heart, I want to hear your passions. Let's believe that God's got something special for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for knowing us that intimately, each one of us. Thank you for making us that uniquely. Thank you for purposing for each of our lives an eternal purpose that brings eternal good and ultimately fulfillment to our lives. Thank you for the honor of knowing you. Now I pray simply that as we make this declaration of faith that you're going to empower us to accomplish what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen.